Welcome to my name is Alex Bendit. I'm one of the co-chair for San Francisco Marathon Disability. Today is October 20th, 2023. Welcome everybody on um, in person and on Zoom. Um, can we have where um walk up please? Yes. Um. Oh, can you please read the welcome um click? Yes. Um. <clears throat> This meeting is broadcast to the public on sfgov.tv. It is open captioned and sign language interpreted. If you need any other accommodations or have difficulty attending this meeting, please send an email to mod at sfgov.org or call 415-554-6789. The Mayor's Disability Council holds 10 public meetings yearly. They are generally held on the third Friday of the month. For more information about past or upcoming meetings, please visit the MOD website at www.sfgov.org MOD. Our next regular meeting is originally scheduled for Friday, November 17th, 2023, from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. will be rescheduled because of the citywide events associated with the Asian Pacific Economic Conference, APEC. We will send out an announcement once the rescheduled date is confirmed. It will also be a hybrid meeting and will be broadcast on sfgov.tv. We thank you for joining us. And we also welcome our new member, Patricia Arak if you'd like to introduce yourself, Patricia. Uh, Thank you, Uh, I'm very happy to be here today. Uh, I'm a uh, retired member of um, the faculty at City College. I retired in 2016. And um, in 2015, I was diagnosed with an incurable muscle wasting disease called inclusion body myositis. I spent most of my life as an able-bodied person and uh, becoming disabled has been quite a uh, revelation to me about the challenges uh, and the difficulties of being a disabled person in uh, this city and in this country. Uh, I'm interested in improving mobility access Uh, because uh, I fully understand that that is a a great problem for many people, and I think San Francisco can do much better in improving the lives of people who have serious mobility issues. So uh, I'm looking forward to my tenure here on the um, uh, council. Happy to be here today. Thank you, Patricia, and... We're looking forward to working with you. And um, so, Claire, can you please um, do a roll call? Yes, uh, for roll call, we have Alex Madrid. Here. Uh, we have Sherry Albers. Present. Uh, Orchid Sassuni. 
Um, here. Here. <clears throat> um, Denise Senha. Present. And Patricia Arak. Present. Thank you. Can we get a reading of the agenda? <clears throat> yes, so item number one, we have welcome and roll call. Um, sorry, item number two is roll call. Um, and item number three is general public comment. Item number four is the co-chair report. Uh, item number five is the report from the mayor's office on disability. Item number six is accessibility and autonomous vehicles <coughs> in San Francisco, presented by Maddie Ruvalo from the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. Item number seven is the employment of people with disabilities in San Francisco, uh, employment voluntary data collection and reasonable accommodation program, presented by Mawuli Tugbenyo and Aliyah Christie from the San Francisco Department of Human Resources. Uh, item number eight is a letter to the MTA board in support of the no turn on right proposal. Um, item number nine is uh, correspondence. Item number 10 is general public comment. Item number 11 is council member comments and announcements. And item number 12 is adjournment. Thank you. Please note that the presentation from the Department of Human Resources about employment for all people with disability in San Francisco will not include ensuring ASL interpreting ability for deaf employees and an AIDS program update as had originally been integrated when that was set out. So we are moving to item number three, um, general public comment. Click, please open up um, public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council, which are not on today's meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes, unless the co-chair determines that, in the interest of time, comments may be limited to a shorter time when there are a, are a large number of public comments. With respect to today's item-specific discussion items, your opportunity to address the council will be afforded at the conclusion of each discussion item before the council discussion begins. A reminder that the Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised to public comment. If you would like a response from the council, 
please provide your contact information by email message to mdc at sfgov.org with the subject MDC comment reply request or call 415-554-6789. If you join the webinar using your tablet or smartphone WebEx app, click on the three horizontal dots icon and then click on the raise hand button. We will recognize you when it is your turn. You may also use the Q&A feature in the WebEx webinar to make a comment. It is located on the top part of the video after touching the screen. If you are using a desktop or laptop computer, you can use the raise hand and Q the raise hand and Q&A icons are located at the bottom of the video screen. If you're joining by phone, you can dial star three to indicate that you would like to make a comment. We will prompt you when it's your turn. Um, so we'll start with anybody who's joining us in person. If you'd like to make a public comment, you can come line up at the podium or we have comment cards located at the front of the room where you can fill out um, your information and the nature of your comment. So I'll wait just a minute to see if anybody wants to come up. All right, so I don't think anybody in person wants to join or wants to make a public comment, but let's see if anybody joining us via uh, WebEx would like to make a public comment. I do see at least one member of the public has their hand raised. Uh, I have the Colin user, Anonymous. Um, you are unmuted and you may make your comment whenever you are ready. Yes, thank you. This is at Disability Activism SF. That's at sign Disability Activism SF. And I have a YouTube channel documenting disability history, our struggle for equal rights, and problems with access in San Francisco. Thank you for having this meeting. Um, I lived in San Francisco as a disabled person for more than 10 years before I knew that these meetings even happened or existed at all. They are not advertised or in any way promoted to the disabled public so that people can make public comments and be involved in the pro programs of our city. I've brought this up numerous times over the years, and yet I continue to be one of the only, if not the only people making public comment and participating in these meetings. This is egregious. I am furthermore uh, really concerned that this body does not address the growing calls for forced conservatorships of disabled people who are neurodivergent in the city by the city's mayor and other public officials who clearly do not have firsthand experience in the dangers and cruelty of a conservatorship and how it disempowers um, our community. I'm also concerned that this body has never addressed the sexual abuse of disabled patients at Laguna Honda, which is continually brought up uh, by lawsuits um, and other ways of uh, public um, raising awareness. Um, I'm also concerned that this body does not address hardly ever the vast homelessness in this city, which is primarily, largely, majority disabled people. We're talking about veterans. We're talking about people with physical health challenges who have lost their jobs due to those physical health challenges. And this is not discussed. It's not discussed that most so-called low-income housing is actually based on AMI, area median income which means that it completely rules out all disabled people 
who live on public benefits like Social Security, which pays the tiniest, tiniest fraction of AMI, and in fact, only around uh, $1,000 a month maximum. These are people that are forced into poverty and forced into homelessness by this city's policies. Homelessness and disability are essentially go together. If you're in San Francisco and you are severely disabled, unless you have uh, a special benefactor, like a, like a rich family member, you are going to be homeless. And this is not how this city should be run. This should be unacceptable. Uh, I'm also still awaiting an apology from Deborah Kaplan for illegally withholding my disability records for almost a year. Um, she fought me every step of the way to get those records and has still refused to apologize. I want to welcome the new member, Patricia, and I hope that we can make some changes and make this city safe for disabled people. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your comment. Do we have any public comment at this time? No, I don't see anybody else who would like to make a public comment at this time. So we are going to close the general public comment. Now we are going to move on to item number four, which is called Point. Um, in um, September, the Housing Committee met and agreed to focus um, our attention on the issue of elevator average outages in <coughs> city-controlled SROs and housing. That would be the primary topic of the of a future MDC meeting. Members of the MDC have also met with the Department of Public Works staff who are managing the Better Burger Street project about the closure of my, my um, Market Street during roadway construction. Sim similarly, similar of the recommendations regarding transit riders, safety at the at bus details, roads, and about communication with the public about accessibility issues have been adopted. That is my report, and I'm going to move us along to item five, which is report uh, um, from Nicole Van, the MD, MOD director. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Co-Chair Madrid. And I'm going to adjust my microphone a minute. Thank you. Okay, thank you everyone. Good afternoon. Thanks for being here and thanks for uh, following along. I have, it, is, it has been a busy month 
uh, for the Mayor's Office on Disability, and I have uh, quite an extensive report. I welcome uh, council member questions uh, at the end, and this has been uh, sent to you and will be posted on uh, sf.gov backslash mod and sf.gov backslash mdc following this meeting. If there are members of the public who wish to engage with aspects of the report, please contact us at mod at sfgov.org or call us at 415-554-6789 and we're happy to engage with you. So a, a few uh, legislative uh, updates for the month of October. <coughs> First, I'll start with the local resolutions and, and uh, ordinances and files that passed and are moving. So file first is file number 231020, amending the rules of order, limiting remote public comment opportunities. This legislation has passed. This legislation removes public comment and presenter participation uh, opportunities remotely at the Board of Supervisors and its subcommittees, except in the case of reasonable accommodation. This does not change how non-Board of Supervisors bodies are required to operate, but the council may choose to continue to monitor this. As you know, this is an issue of great interest okay. to the disability community and others. Also in October, file 231005 was introduced, uh, amending the building code deadlines for disability access improvements for places of public accommodation, which is any um, uh, forward-facing uh, business serving the public. This legislation you've heard of before, commonly known as the Accessible Business Entrance Ordinance, um, and the, uh, the first piece of the legislation extends the um, compliance deadlines with the program. The file has been duplicated and additional amendments intended to streamline the compliance of, with the program are also under consideration. And again, I encourage the council to monitor uh, the goings on here. I've also listed for your review uh, and will post and submit uh, electronically. The, uh, we, we still would appreciate the council's assistance in monitoring um, resolution 230269, honoring uh, Judy Human and the UN Plaza protest uh, about how that is going, and also uh, referral number 211301 regarding shared spaces. The permanent program uh, is now officially uh, as of the end of September, uh, in effect. Regarding uh, state legislation, um, you, you're going to hear about um, the CPUC and autonomous vehicles in a, in a minute, so I won't go into detail about that, I'll, except to say that MOD held a, a community engagement group with the County Transportation Authority and SFMTA uh, around accessibility and safety issues regarding autonomous vehicles. And then federally, uh, I announced this last time, but for uh, members interested in engaging uh, with the um, 
uh, there's a public comment period on discrimination on the basis of disability and health and human services programs or activities that is linked to this report or you can call for additional information. It was, uh, um, the comments are due on November 13th, 2023 and will lar are largely based on ensuring accessible and non-discriminatory medical treatment. It clarifies obligations for web, mobile, and kiosk accessibility in health and human services settings. It also establishes standards for accessible medical equipment and clarifies other non-discrimination uh, acts. So we really do encourage you to engage with that if that is something of interest to you. <clears throat> Locally, I'm going to move now to news and announcements. So as was mentioned at the beginning of the meeting, the Asian Pacific Economic Conference will be in San Francisco, November 13th to 18th, 2023. This event is expected to bring over 30,000 people to San Francisco, including dignitaries and thousands of international media. MOD is working with SFMTA, Digital Services, and 311 to enhance and supplement disability access information related to traffic, transit, and pedestrian routing impacts. And it, as this information becomes available from the State Department, there's a lot that we uh, can help in terms of information, but the actual routing and routes are, are not largely up to us. And so we're working to make sure that um, the city stays as accessible as possible. To that end, MOD highly recommends that people with disabilities, if you have not yet, please sign up with the Mayor's Office on Disability distribution list by going to our landing page at sf.gov MOD, scrolling to the bottom and clicking subscribe to our email list. This is the best way to stay current with accessibility impacts. We're also, we'll be sending out information that will be posted on web and other resources as well. The MOD staff are expected to be reallocated during APEC week to help ensure accessibility and City Hall will be in use that week. So we do appreciate the council's willingness to con uh, consider moving the next Mayor's Disability Council meeting to December um, as the city will be deployed uh, during APEC. I also wanna, uh, there's a few, a few more things that I'd like to announce. MOD submitted public comment regarding a notice of proposed rulemaking on non-discrimination on the basis of disability, accessibility of web information, and services of state and local government entities, specifically pertaining to how digital accessibility pertains to us and the disability user, and how these impacts should be measured. If you'd like a copy of these comments, please feel free to contact Deputy Director Kaplan. As part of new next announcement is, as part of National Disability Employment Month, which we'll be hearing more about later this afternoon, I will be presenting on disability issues that intersect with the Human Rights Commission on this coming Thursday at their meeting, Thursday, October 26th. The meeting starts at 5 p.m. It's in City Hall, and I welcome any MDC member who may wish to join me to provide or to provide public comment on opportunities for Mayor's Disability Council and Human Rights Commission 
collaboration. As you know, there is a lot of crossover between the Human Rights Commission and the Mayor's Office on Disability and the Mayor's Disability Council on the constituents that we serve. So I wouldn't, uh, if you uh, would want to join me as part of that presentation, MDC members, I would be grateful. Uh, and now finally, I'm going to move to uh, Mayor's Office on Disability has quite a bit of staff news and thanks today. So first, today is Tess Bartlett's final day serving as the art clerk. And uh, also uh, our capital program manager and senior building inspector, John Ramedes, is uh, moving on at the end of October. Both are moving on to other departments within the city family and John in particular will be applying his disability access expertise in an area that will do great good for improving physical accessibility for members of the public. And so we provide a heartfelt thanks to both of you for your dedication and service. MOD intends to fill these positions and will keep the council informed uh, regarding the need for any additional support that we might need from you to keep the, our positions filled. And finally, we welcome former council member Helen Slaminski as MOD's Grievance and Housing Initiative Coordinator. Uh, MOD is thrilled to have you. I will, um, and I will um, end um, by just highlighting again some of the uh, items that you might want to uh, think about in terms of future agenda items uh, with more detailed explanations that will be posted. I'll just list them. Uh, some suggestions are the Mayor's Office on Disability 2022-2023 public report, a, a part of which I will be presenting to Human Rights Commission and I did present to other city staff in July. Uh, the Accessible Business Entrance Program, please again refer to that legislative item um, and maybe include Office of Small Business, Access Appeals, Public Works, DBI, Golden Gate Park Wayfinding follow-up, Dining Reusables follow-up legislation. There's legislation related to that as well. And then the Controller's Office, um, SRO Elevator Audit, and the Asian Disability Friendly San Francisco Implementation. And with that, I will... Um, I will conclude and uh, ask if there are any specific questions from council members at this time. Thank you, Director Bond. Um, do we have any council members' questions? I'm going to go ahead um, um, from online first. Alex? From online first. Do we have any? Patricia, did you have any comments or questions? Uh, no, not at this time. Thank yeah. you, Patricia. And now we are going to with the uh, impatience um co-chair. Thank you, co-chair Madrid. Um, Director Bond, could you please repeat the specifics for the HRC meeting on the 26th? Sure. Yes. Sorry, we have one microphone down here and we have to play 
microphone swap. The HRC meeting is, I don't have the room location right now, but it's in City Hall. Mm -hmm. It's this Thursday, uh, October 26th, starting at 5 p.m. Okay. I am expected, as of now, I will be likely going on in the 6 p.m. hour. Um, if you are available to join, I would, I would uh, be very pleased. It's, of course, it's optional, but uh, that's what it is. <laughs> Strongly recommended. It would be nice to have a connection okay. directly between the MDC, I think, and the Human <laughs> Rights Commission. Uh, you know, we had a successful model, a joint meeting with the, um, the uh, Disability and Aging Commission. And similarly to that, there's a lot of crossover. So okay. uh, just something to consider. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, the, uh, the are the council members has questions or concerns regarding um, the government support. Thank you, Nicole, for the report. Thank you. Thank you, Co-Chair Madrid. Now we are going to move to item number six, accessibility and autonomous Vehicle in San Francisco, presented by Mandy Hoverlow and from MTA San Francisco. Is she on the line or in person? Hi, Alex. This is Maddie. I'm online. Hi, Maddie. How are you? Um, are you ready to present? I am, and I'm here with my colleague, uh, John Pavelas from the SFCTA as well. Welcome, please. All right, I am just going to share my screen. Okay, uh, is that visible for everybody? No, we are not seeing any um, mm. slides. There we go. Is that visible? Okay. Great. Um, thank you all for having us. Uh, I believe this is the first hybrid meeting where I've presented, but I've presented uh, many times before in an online format. I'm Maddie Rubolo. I'm a principal transportation planner at the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. Um, and I'm here with my colleague um, to speak with you all about autonomous vehicles. So thank you for having us today. Uh, John Paul, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. So, hi. Hello, everyone. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, this is my first time. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm a transportation planner with the San Francisco uh, County Transportation Authority, which uh, I guess we call the TA for short. Uh, and it's the smaller of the two transportation agencies in San Francisco. Uh, we play more of a series of strategic roles uh, in the transportation space, including con congestion management. Uh, we also operate as the local sales tax administrator, and we kind of reinvest those funds that we recollect in a series of infrastructure improvements, uh, transit uh, service improvements, including paratransit, uh, not only improvements, actually operational as well. Uh, we serve as the Treasure Island Mobility Agency, and we also serve as advisors to the Board of Supervisors on all policy issues regarding uh, transportation. 
Thanks, John Paul. Um, and as I mentioned, I'm here from the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. We just wanted to draw a distinction since we're both here today. Um, SFMTA is responsible for the management of all ground transportation in San Francisco. So we oversee transit, streets, emerging mobility, paratransit, and taxis. So we're here today to talk about autonomous vehicles and accessibility. Um, to give a little bit of background context, Cruise and Waymo are two autonomous vehicle uh, service providers, and they are currently providing autonomous passenger service and collecting fares in San Francisco. Um, we know, and many of you know, that the disability community has been interested in autonomous vehicles for a long time. Um, there's been a lot of interest from various segments of the disability community because of the potential and the hopes for what autonomous vehicles could mean for increased independence, increased accessibility, and increased transportation options. Um, we also just want to be clear um, that California state law gives permitting authority to the California Public Utilities Commission, the CPUC, and the Department of Motor Vehicles, the DMV. So those are state entities that have permitting authority over autonomous vehicles in San Francisco. So uh, we as San Francisco have done uh, a lot of work around autonomous vehicle accessibility, and we wanted to share some of that with you all now. Um, as I said, because um, much of the regulatory authority um, is at the state, we have submitted comment policy letters to the CPUC, um, and then also at the federal level to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, um, urging specific benchmarks around accessibility and requirements, um, including uh, asking for requirements around wheelchair accessible vehicles or WAVES, so autonomous WAVES. Um, we also participated in the CPUC's AV Accessibility Working Group when that was an active entity, and that was a few years ago. Um, and we have been meeting and will continue to meet with folks in the disability community, including disability organizations um, and individuals, to understand the variety of perspectives uh, around autonomous vehicles within the disability community. Because we know that there's not a consensus and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of different feelings and perspectives that are important uh, to consider as we do this work. So I want to share a little bit about our priorities at San Francisco, and these priorities are informed both by the experience and work that we've done around accessibility, our previous work um, at the CPUC, and then also, uh, of course, the many different perspectives, as I said, that we have heard directly from the disability community. So uh, one of our priorities are our safe passenger drop-off and pickup. So for AV services, we want to ensure that folks are being picked up and dropped off in a safe location. And this often means directly at the curb. Uh, we are concerned about uh, AVs dropping people off in the middle of the street. We don't think that's safe for anybody, but especially not for people with disabilities. Um, we also understand that while AV or so autonomous wheelchair accessible vehicles may still be in development, um, in the interim, we still want to see comparable non-autonomous wheelchair accessible service, um, you know, while those, those autonomous vehicles are still in process. Um, and so that would mean um, essentially having an option for standard wave service with comparable response times so that people with disabilities, uh, especially folks who are wheelchair users or who use other mobility devices, are not excluded um, from this move towards autonomous vehicles. Um, 
Along with that, we would like to see clear deployment, testing, uh, and development timelines around autonomous wheelchair accessible vehicles. Um, and we are also concerned not just for accessibility within the vehicles and for users of the vehicles, but also for people around the vehicles. And so we have heard some concerns. Um, we also have concerns about pedestrian safety for people with disabilities around autonomous vehicles. So ensuring that autonomous vehicles can sense when uh, there's a wheelchair user nearby or someone of short stature or someone who has a guide dog. Um, we want to ensure that um, people with disabilities are being considered um, as pedestrians uh, in proximity to autonomous vehicles. So with that, um, I'm going to turn it over to John Paul to talk a little bit more about the CPUC and the importance of regulation. Yeah, thank you, Maddie. So again, the, the AV space is regulated both at the federal and state levels. At the state level, we have, again, the DMV, uh, PUC, but SF has no direct authority over AV services. And so what the, again, basically the way that works is that the DMV permits the drivers and the vehicles, uh, the AVs, drivers and vehicles, which is kind of one in this case, uh, but, uh, and the PUC actually permits commercial passenger services. So uh, again, in the, in the regulation of those commercial passenger services, the PUC is responsible for adopting the specific accessibility uh, requirements. And to that end, the PUC did adopt a goal around accessibility but they have not translated that goal into specific benchmarks or requirements, be it about a wave service provision or other considerations about the vehicles, the app, or other means to hail the service. So it's it's basically just a, a statement of will uh, or desire rather. Uh, and that leaves us in the hands and the goodwill of the providers with this the absence of any and a clear regulation. So next slide. Uh, so yeah, so why is it important to kind of to have more sound regulations in place? Uh, we are very appreciative that Cruise and Waymo have each developed uh, relationships with various disability organizations. And we believe that that dialogue directly uh, is very important. Uh, we also have seen and kind of hear and appreciate uh, Cruz and Waymo's uh, commitments towards accessibility. However, uh, our experience is that industry, broadly speaking, uh, often do not uh, implement consistent or reliable accessibility provisions unless they are subject to clear regulations. And so, say for example, transportation network companies or, or ride hill, uh, again, Uber or Lyft uh, for short, uh, and uh, the challenges that you have faced in terms of actually having wave equivalent service through those providers to this day, and they have been around for over a decade. Uh, so another th issue that we center on is, again, not only creating requirements uh, for provision, but actually having uh, the tools to monitor and evaluate whether those services are actually being provided. So that is all about transparency to ensure compliance and to identify areas for improvement. And that requires that uh, the regulatory framework also uh, demands transparent data reports from the providers on how the services are being implemented. Um, 
So thinking ahead in terms of next steps, going back to this concept that, that again, we have a rather limited role ourselves uh, in terms of regulations, uh, we are more in a position of advocacy. Uh, so from that role, we will continue to advocate policies uh, that improve uh, AV accessibility and safety, including uh, com comparable service requirements for wave users and appropriate data reporting. Uh, and to do so, uh, we will continue to work with a variety of disability organizations to better identify needs, priority needs, recommendations. Uh, we expect uh, that there's going to be a series of new rulemaking opportunities, both at the federal level with NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, uh, as well as with the DMV and the PUC. So we will engage in those. And again, we're just flagging for everybody that these may be upcoming opportunities where uh, your input will be very welcome. Uh, and again, we're also actually tracking legislative opportunities uh, and where there may be a venue for us to advance change in that space as well. So that would be all. Um, next slide. Those, and that's our contact information <laughs> and our names. Uh, please, again, don't hesitate to reach out. All Thank right. you for your time. And we're happy to take questions now. Thank you. Um, now we are going to uh, open up for public comment. Yes, so as a reminder <clears throat> to the public, uh, if you'd like to make a comment joining us in person, you may do so by lining up uh, at the podium up front, or we also have comment cards that you can fill out located at the front of the room. Uh, if you're joining us via WebEx, you can make a public comment by using the raise hand feature or the uh, Q&A feature uh, on the webinar. So I'll wait and see if anybody who's joining us in person would like to make a comment doesn't look like it, and so we will move to anybody joining us on WebEx. All right, I don't see anybody who would like to make a comment at this time. All right, thank you. Now I'm going to go on to our cousin members comment or um, Question now we have our kids in your face and go ahead. First I would like to thank Maddie for her presentation. And um, I have a few questions. Could we move the camera to Orchid? Yes, please? please put the camera on Orchid, not the interpreter. Here I am. Please don't put the camera on the interpreter. <clears throat> Control room, we're going to call you, but if you can move the camera over to Orchid.
Okay, thank you. All right, I'll start over. Thank you to Maddie for your presentation and also to about autonomous vehicles, vehicles with no drivers in the car. And I've been thinking about this and I have, I don't know if it's a comment or a question. I think autonomous vehicles are wonderful and I've been thinking about how we can collaborate, how they could collaborate with hospitals, because it seems like hospitals have been asking if there's accessibility problems, and maybe we can connect with that, with the autonomous vehicles for that. That might be a good addition um, to see if that's one of, uh, suggestion for them. And another thing for autonomous vehicles that I've noticed is that they have very limited areas where they can go. It's, uh, you know, and times, for example, they're only available late at night, so it would be really nice to experience autonomous vehicles. Um, I don't know if it's possible to make it, um, uh, if it's, um, if the, it would be cool or very useful if um, they could have them uh, like uh, in the car, there's a way that you could, an audio uh, captioning or something, or a way to text to them, or do you have to speak? I'm not sure if it's accessible to deaf people or not for that. So that's, um, again, it's a wonderful possibility for that um, with the new technologies. And I know that, um, you know, there are some hiccups along the way when you have these, and that's understandable in the process. But um, the one I think I was thinking about was with the hospitals and also that like taxis have a ticket that for a voucher program for um, paratransit. So maybe um, something like that could be allowed. I don't know if that is possible. So um, thank you for your presentation. And I give it back to the co-chair. Thank you, Alfred. Um Now we have... Um, co-chair Madrid, do you want to give the presenters any opportunity yes, to respond? Yes, May I jump on? Do you have any response to Alfred? Sure. Uh, thank you, Orchid, um, for your comments and your ideas. Um, I just want to encourage you, because we are not the folks who would be able to um, put those ideas into practice. It would be Cruz and Waymo. Um, and I know that they have expressed interest in hearing from the disability community. And so I would just encourage you to connect with Cruz and Waymo uh, directly to share these, these perspectives with them. Uh, I think it's really important for them to hear from the disability community. Thank you. Now we are moving to Councilmember Abbott. Thank you, Co-Chair Madrid. Um, hi, Maddie, um, and nice to meet you, Jean-Paul. Um, thank you for your presentation. Um, this seems to be the hot topic these days. Um, I... Um, would just like to thank you for your advocacy and your um, uh, support and sharing the same concerns that um, we seem to have. I think we're on the same page. Um, and um, 
I would like to extend an invitation, if Maddie, you haven't gotten it already. Um, this is a kind of a shameless plug, but I was going to do it at the end of the meeting anyway. Um, Lighthouse is going to have a forum on November 2nd. This is Lighthouse for the Blind in San Francisco. Um, on November 2nd at 2 p.m., um, Waymo and Cruz will have a representative, um, and it's going to be a discussion with our CEO, Sharon Giovinazzo, and it's going to be a um, pedestrian safety and transit safety kind of forum, open discussion. It will be hybrid um, and um, like in person at our headquarters, 1155 Market Street, um, and available. Um, we don't know what the uh, online um, platform is going to be yet, but it definitely will give you an um, opportunity to um, ask directly to the representatives of the um, autonomous vehicle uh, representatives and everybody here too and anybody listening. Um, and you can contact to RSVP to communications at lighthouse-sf.org. Um, but again, I, I always uh, want to thank the SFMTA for um, kind of getting it with us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sherry. Really appreciate that. Um, I did receive the invitation. Thank you very much. Um, but thank you for sharing the information for everyone else as well. And okay. I'm going to try to be there. Okay, great. <laughs> Do you know I'm going to um, do this? Um, I want to kind of piggyback on my comments from the fellow council members. Um, I want to thank Maddie and John for being here. This is one of our hot topics. Um, I appreciate that you're working with the different segments of the disability community with regards to safety as far as a procedure and drop off and, you know, pick up. Um, I've been kind of concerned in the past and I do see the advantages of the AV cars. One of my concerns, as you mentioned in your presentation, is pedestrian safety um, for all pedestrians in San Francisco, but particular people that are low vision or legally blind or deaf or hard of hearing. Um, I'm kind of ignorant to the AV process, so you're going to have to take me through a quick summary for dummies here. So how does the process work when we talk about um, safety concerns? in pick up and drop off if you have a passenger with a disability because there is no driver there and I'm used to talking to somebody. So the car, I understand, has some sort of artificial intelligence. How does that work? How do they know where to go, what to do? If there is, is a problem with regards to safety and where to drop people off from accessibility issues. So if you can kind of take me through that if you're in that process. I don't know how far along we are on this. so. If you can give me a, a brief summary. And then the last thing, um, I greet my council members. This is exciting, and we look forward to working with you in addressing those safety concerns um, as well as the accessibility issues. So thank you. Um, I don't know if John Paul also wants to, to chime in, um, but I just want to say those, those safety concerns that you articulated are certainly concerns that we share and that we are concerned because we don't feel like we have gotten a, a, an answer that feels satisfying to us that ensures safety. Um, this is something where 
the CPUC, the California Public Utilities Commission, as this is under their purview to to set requirements and uh, standards to ensure that safety for people with disabilities and to ensure that, as you said, the sort of the details of of pickup and drop off and pedestrian safety um, are in place. And so, unfortunately, this isn't an area where we are able to um, exercise authority. Um, but I'll let John Paul jump in as well. Yeah, no, uh, not too much to add. Just maybe speaking also to the. Um, the app, right? Like, like we cannot really speak to the detail of the uh, accessibility provisions of the separate apps, uh, and I think that's. But I would highlight that fact that there is no regulation mandating any specifics to those apps, uh, and so the providers may kind of build them uh, as they see fit, uh, but with no direct kind of regulatory uh, guidance. May I ask one more question? Yes. Um, thank you. In, in that process, um, who has been selected to do the design, to do the apps, the artificial intelligence? I mean, who, who is actually working on this? And are they directly working with you going to the community to address some of these concerns as they build these apps from accessibility and safety standpoint? Thank you. Thank you. That that's a good question, and unfortunately, we don't. We are not privy to any more detailed information than just that the companies Cruise and Waymo are presumably working on this, or or you know we would hope that they would be working on this. Um, and we um, are not the sort of the interim party here between and them and the community. Although we have encouraged them repeatedly to engage with the community. Um, and and to receive and to get community feedback on uh, making sure that this these uh, products work and that they're safe and accessible for the disability community. Yes, please, Sharon. Hello. Thank Mic you. Microphone, please test. Hello. Thank you. Hi. Um, this is Sherry again. Um, n not that I'm an expert, um, but prior to October tenth. 12th, whatever the hearing was with the CPUC, um, when they were give, when the AV companies were given their license to um, free reign, whatever. Um, Waymo and Cruise were in a complete pilot testing, like beta testing um, phase, where people were signed up as testers with the app application. And so that was the process where the app was being tested, and especially for the blind community, um, for accessibility, um, for sure. Um, I know for sure a lot of uh, Lighthouse employees were um, signed up for accessibility um, specifically, and um, that was part of that pilot program to make sure it was working in, in an accessibility standpoint. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Sherry. Um, would do you have any questions? Oh no, I'm done. Really. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Patricia, do you have any questions? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, can you hear me? Okay. Yes. 
Go ahead. Okay. Um, this is my first meeting, so I'm no getting worries. used to this. No worries. Um, I'm not a fan of autonomous vehicles. Uh, I'll have to be honest with you, uh, but thank you for your presentation. Uh, the the uh, details, the devil is in the details, and we're not getting any details. And uh, I have serious mobility issues. I would never get into a ride share, uh, ride hail, uh, or taxi, or any kind of commercial uh, vehicle like that without a human driver. Uh, it's just far too dangerous. It's very uh, possible that I could stumble and fall getting in or getting out. So there I am, uh, a heap in the middle of the street or on the sidewalk or wherever. Uh, what does the non-driver do? Drive away? You know, it's just, uh, I, I just, I shudder at the thought of a person with serious disabilities, and in my case, it's mobility, uh, being at the mercy of a hunk of metal with no human being there to help. I just, I just find it kind of crazy to even consider doing something like this. So that, that's my opinion, and that's, I'm coming from the position of myself as a seriously disabled person. Uh, I don't know how the uh, companies or you know, whoever puts this driverless accessible vehicle program into, into uh, operation, but uh, I just see really insurmountable problems and a, a quite dangerous situation for disabled people. Thank you. Thanks for your comment. And I'll just say, I think we, this has definitely been the role of a, of a human being besides simply driving the vehicle, but you know, our ramp taxi drivers or other paratransit drivers are often there to assist people with disabilities. Um, and we have, have, have pointed out that uh, the role of a human being cannot always be replaced so easily. It looks like John. Yes, and, and uh, I also wanted to add that uh, this is going to take jobs away from human beings who need jobs, and uh, you know that that may be good for the bottom line for Uber and Lyft, but it's not good for people who need jobs in San Francisco. And that's another issue. It's not a disability issue, but it's definitely something that we should consider. Good I'm muting. Uh, I would just add, just to share an, another relevant fact, which is that uh, uh, the TA in partnership with SFMTA are actually running a small pilot in Treasure Island uh, of an autonomous shuttle. So it looks a little different from the vehicles that we've been discussing today. This is a more kind of purpose-built uh, vehicle uh, that is going on a loop on Treasure Island. Uh, and this vehicle includes, it's wheelchair accessible, and it has kind of like an attendant to kind of help folks get into the vehicle. Um, and so it's just kind of like a different approach to how we see or we believe that some of these services could be uh, is slowly implemented and brought into uh, the more complex environments of San Francisco. Uh, 
So it's a little bit of a counterpoint vis-a-vis -vis kind of like some of the, uh, again, testing and now deployment and commercial services that uh, Cruise and Waymo uh, are able to operate. And as we were kind of highlighting before, where uh, our ability to influence how those services are deployed is rather limited, if, if not non-existent. Thank you. Oh, can do you have any question? Can you put the mic, I mean the camera on ORCID, please? Okay, perfect, thank you. Just a very short um, comment. I'm really hoping, and I remember a few months ago, um, the autonomous vehicles decided to park the uh, the driver got out in the middle of the road. I hope that uh, that's changed. I was really concerned and shocked to hear that, that they were dropping people off in the middle of the road. Is that still happening or has that changed? Um, well, we don't have data for every single trip, but anecdotally we have heard that it's still happening for at least some portion of the trips. And we share your concern that that is not a safe uh, wow. operating procedure uh, for anybody, but especially for people with disabilities. Yes. Um, if I if I may, thank you. Um, one one suggestion: you may uh, choose to invite Cruise and Waymo themselves um, to come speak with you, um, and they can perhaps address some of the questions that you have around the details of their of their services and products, as well as how they've worked with the disability community. Thank you. Now we are going to move to um, Denise. Please be quick. I will. Thank you, Alec. Um, I'll make a quick, I don't know if this is a good suggestion, but with regards to Patricia, who made comments about jobs going away, you know, et cetera, and safety concerns. Maybe one of the accommodation requests, maybe because the car can't think on its own. I know we don't have perfect drivers out there on the street, but I'd rather trust that than a machine that doesn't have the intelligence to make a decision or judge a situation such as what we've been hearing, some of the problems in the trials going on in some of the complicated areas, because they wanna make sure other vehicles are safe as well out on the streets. People that provide emergency services, first responders, we want everyone to be safe out there. So maybe, I don't know if it makes any sense, maybe to have a, a, a driver there, I don't know full time what that would look like, but have somebody in the car if a situation presents itself where there needs to be some sort of human interaction in making a decision, especially if something goes wrong with the car and I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere and can't see where I'm going and what's happening, I'm not gonna be happy. So I really think a lot of these safety, and I understand this is kind of out of your realm, but as far as giving feedback that these are some concerns from a safety perspective. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Denise. Um, so, um, I, before I go, move to, to the staff, I have a couple of comments and uh, questions. One um, comment is that I think before you guys proceed ongoing new testing 
with um, accessibility, I think you, um, the PRC and MTA should take a look on really why um, this um, AV is doing, um, still continue having an issue um, stopping, stopping in the middle of the street, especially when it comes to, um, like, just stopping on the street, I think um, they should, you guys should consider having them fix the issue before testing this accessibility and before having people with disability start using AV. I think you guys should consider having fixing that issue first and then I just curious for for example when it comes to testing right now in Asia Island, are there any issues that you guys see right now or you don't have any information on that? John Paul? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So uh, thank you for your question. I think it's all very relevant. And, and Maddie, I think, could have provided already the, the, the framework for understanding this, this challenge. And it's that there is no data that is publicly available for us to make any assessments of this. And we're actually knowing a little bit more of the details that the PUC, the reports that the PUC receives, they don't even receive any data. So. Not only it's not made public, but the CPUC or the DMV are not even asking providers to provide details about the locations or where their vehicle stops. So from a policy-making perspective, we are really kind of at a very challenging point, basically in square one, which is that we can even make the assessment, much less recommendations. And, and again, we don't not even... So part of what we have been advocating to the PUC uh, for number of months now is that this program should actually, should actually be uh, deployed and expanded in an incremental performance way uh, manner that allows us to assess in perhaps smaller areas of the city uh, that are not as complex uh, how these vehicles are operating and tracking data very closely to understand whether the performance meet uh, certain benchmarks including uh, how they provide services to people with disabilities before we grant additional expansions to these companies. And again, that was this was our position in a number of regulatory filings dating back to last year. However, the CPUC, very aware of these issues, still decided to grant both of those companies a permit to go ahead and provide hmm. unrestricted service in all of San Francisco 24-7, uh, again, and no limits also on their vehicle fleet. So that perhaps was a clarification that I also wanted to make at a point that was made earlier, that it's like, at this point, in theory, the services can provide service all throughout the city. They may restrict still how many people they're allowing to use the app, their apps or the services, but if you're able to actually be one of their 
active users, then you should be able to take a service from anywhere in the city to anywhere in the city and all times of the day. And so that's the tension because we we also believe in that incremental uh, kind of approach, performance-based approach that I believe the, the chair is suggesting, uh, but uh, we were not heard in our recommendation by the CPUC in their approval, which happened uh, in August of, of, of this year. Okay, and then on the second question I have is that I'm not sure if you hear me, but I'm gonna ask you again, Jean-Paul or Mary, with your testing right now, um, I know that all you guys testing at Asia Island. Are there any issues that you be aware of or none at this point? Um, oh, sorry, go ahead, John Paul. No, 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 go ahead, Maria. I've spoken of him. Just, so, Alex, just to clarify, make sure I understand your question. You're asking about testing and any issues. Let me, let me ask a clarification question. Um, did you say, John Paul or Maria, that you guys start testing, physical testing at Treasure Island right now, or no? Treasure Island. Treasure Island, sorry. <laughs> Are you guys yes. doing right now? Yes. Okay, so my question is, are there any issue right now that you see or experiencing it when it comes to testing that um, Right now, when it comes to accessibility? So far, nothing that I can report, uh, but I will kind of double check that kind of with uh, the project manager for the Treasure Island uh, program to kind of confirm that. Uh, so, I, yeah. I think it would be good. is that it's been kind of like, there's, you know, there's been some hiccups, but in kind of like just broader issues, I would say, uh, with, but nothing. Nothing with regards to accessibility. I think it would be good to know that information, and every good to. Um, I think the public would be appreciative of that. Now, with the restricted at the time, so I'm going to ask. Um, Chairman Drake. Well, just just one comment before um, you close. Um, uh, I just so one I wanted to just encourage folks to use the Treasure Island shuttle and, and share feedback with us if you do encounter accessibility issues yes. um, or if it goes smoothly. That's really helpful either way to hear. Um, and then just the second. Uh, thought again is, you know, I mentioned you might invite Cruz and Waymo. You could also invite commissioners from the CPUC because, as the regulators um, or as one of the regulators, they could answer um, some of these more specific yeah. questions around requirements and standards. And I think um, 
that that might be a, a good way to get some of these uh, really important questions around safety and accessibility addressed. So thank you for, for having us. Thank you, thank you, Mari. This is uh, Nicole speaking. I know our item is running long and our next presenters are, yeah. are here. So I, I do wanna um, say thank you, uh, but, but also, um, and I really support uh, Maddie and John Paul's thoughts around, um, you know, the council, the council has an opportunity here to decide how you would like to engage as a next step. I know that sometimes the, the CPUC comment process can be uh, complicated, um, but I do encourage you to think about how you would like to follow up on, with the understanding now that there's, um, there really is not a whole lot that the city has uh, control over regarding how the companies are proceeding, but, these, but still kind of voicing and hearing the issues in public forums like this really do help us in the city on uh, the advocacy <coughs> level so that we really know, you know, the, the varied perspectives it, this is. And towards that end, I think one of the things that MOD is hopeful for is that we can continue to work together to bring the community together to hear all these different perspectives because not everybody is aligned on uh, on this issue and there's a lot of concerns, especially around transparency. So I just wanted to say publicly that I wanna support the council and how you uh, determine you want to move forward uh, knowing this, but I do encourage you to, um, to take action um, because it is of uh, such concern and frankly, also because you know we're doing some very innovative things in San Francisco and a lot of folks are uh, watching us nationally as well. And so the, uh, the actions that we take on behalf of the disability community here are going to be heard and uh, learned from in other states and potentially even federally. So I just wanted to uh, encourage us, we do, we do need to continue to come together and listen to each other and also ideally take action together even though we have differing opinions. Uh, and I thank uh, Maddie and uh, John Paul for uh, your participation on this, from the city side on this. That's all. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Marie and um, Paul for the presentation. And we look forward to um, working with you in the near future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Right now, we are moving to take a break for 10 minutes. We're coming back at 2.26.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Welcome, everybody. Again, my name is Alex Madrid. I'm one of the coaches. Welcome again to MDC. Today is um, October 20, and we are going to item number seven. It's going to be employment with people with disability in San Francisco with presented by presented by Mo I'm sorry um my duty to Presented by Bob San Francisco HR Department. Um, I'm sorry if I don't know how to pronounce your name. That is totally fine. Thank you so much. Um, all right, we're just going to get the present. Um, control room, could you uh, present or put their presentation up? on the screen, please. Okay, um, thank you so much, Mayor's Disability Council, for having DHR here present with you all today. Um, my name is Alia Chisti. I am the Senior Policy Analyst at DHR. I am in here person in person with my colleague Yasmin Gonzalez, who is a senior EEO specialist at DHR, and I believe um, we have Moali Tugbenyo, who's joining us virtually. I don't know if he's he's on um, um, to support with answering questions that you all may have. He is the um, deputy director of policy and external affairs. Moe is is present. Wonderful. Hi, Moe. Um, so again, we are all very excited to be here today. Thank you for inviting us to this space. And um, today I will be presenting on DHR's recent re efforts around disability data collection. And Yasmin will be presenting on our reasonable accommodation price process. So moving to the next slide. Um, there we go. So um, we, in late September, in collaboration um, with the Mayor's Office of Disability, um, Director Bond and Deborah Kaplan, we launched a disability data collection effort, which was a voluntary self-identification disability questionnaire, and we launched it in late September with the support of the controller's office and helping us get that up and going in the employee portal. And our goal in, um, in this effort was to really build, to begin building a stronger foundation for a more inclusive data set so that we could understand um, the needs of our employees better. And so um, if we go to the next slide, um, it gives an example of what it looks like in the SF employee portal. Um, there's a little link that uh, folks can click on for filling out the question. And so 
In this process, we sent information out through our newsletter, which reaches over 34,000 employees, telling them about this effort. And if we look at the actual form, which is on the next slide, um, it draws from the Department of Labor's self-identification of disability questionnaire. And um, we were sure to, make, uh, to include a preface of why um, we were asking employees to fill this out. And we wanted it to be clear that this is voluntary. And it also references the California Code of Regulations, Title II, Section um, 11065D, for what constitutes a disability. And on the next slide is just a closer snapshot of the questions that employees can um, choose to fill out and submit. And it also um, links to DHR's page around um, additional information for employees that may have disabilities. And um, we are very early in this process. So um, we have just started this process. And, um, and, um, you know, and so we hope that it will eventually feed into informing us or exploring how we can tie this data into the reasonable accommodation process. Yes. Hi, it would be really great if you could read. We've got, oh, some, sure. we've got some folks that are not able to see the slide content. reader so we can we'll, sure we apologize for that we'll fix it we'll we'll fix the slides but for, for the purposes of right yes. now if you could read the question at least that would be yeah. um, really helpful thank you yeah um, so I can I can start I can read um, the the preface that I, I mentioned originally so providing this information is voluntary disability like race Gender identity and sexual orientation is a critical part of our identity and culture. The city and county of San Francisco is implementing methods to collect more inclusive data. As part of this effort, we are collecting disability data to better understand the demographics of the workforce. And the next piece is how do you... And yeah. just slow down a little bit. <laughs> sure. To help our interpreters. Thank sure. you so much. How do you know if you have a disability? In California... Disabilities are broadly defined as conditions that limit a major life activity, including physical and mental disabilities, as well as medical conditions such as cancer or HIV AIDS, as defined in California Code of Regulations, Title II, Section 11065D, an individual with a disability may have a physical or mental impairment that limits a major life activity, or have a record of or are regarded as having such an impairment that may have no present disabling effect but may become a disability, or have an impairment that requires special education or related services. Note, major life activities include seeing, seeing hearing, breathing, walking, speaking, learning, working, caring for oneself, performing manual tasks, lifting, and other physical, mental, and social activities. See California Code of Regulations, Title II, Section 11065D, for the full range of physical and mental conditions that may qualify as a disability under California law. Please select one response below and press Submit to record your answer. Do you identify as a person with a disability or as a member of the disability community? Yes, 
I identify as a person with a disability or as a member of the disability community. No, I do not identify as a person with a disability or as a member of the disability community. I do not wish to answer. So the, that is the form in its entirety. Um, and again, I really want to thank um, Deborah and Nicole for, for helping um, move this along. We've, there was a lot of a learning curve for us, and we're really excited that we were able to launch in September. And um, with that, I will turn it over to my colleague, Yasmin Gonzalez, to go over um, reasonable accommodations. Excuse me, um, sorry for interrupting, but could you make this, uh, the, the uh, uh, slide, uh, the slideshow uh, available on WebEx? It's not full screen. I'm not sure. We submitted it, or is there something that we need to do on our end? So we'll one, make it full one screen. Moment. One moment. Please hold, Patricia. Thank you. Is it okay? SFGov TV needs to do that. Please hold. I'm... Okay, thank you. Um, Hold on one second. Hang on one second. It's, vi it's visible. It's visible to. Um, it's visible to us. I'm not sure um, why it's not um, available via WebEx, but, but we'll uh, definitely um, make sure that you have access to the slide deck, and we'll be sure. Just as your presenters move forward, if you could just um, slowly. Um, read any content that folks would need to reference that would help us right now. Thank you. Of course, thank you, and thank you for your patience uh, with our, our technical issues. And we need you to speak directly into the microphone. If we can bring it down a little bit, that would be really thank great. Thank you. Thank you for helping us meet all of our access needs. We appreciate you know, it. Of course, thank you. Um, so, the reasonable accommodation uh, process is available for applicants and employees. A little bit closer to your, the microphone if okay. you can. Thank you. Yep, thanks, that's better. Thank you. Uh, so the reasonable accommodation uh, process is available for applicants and employees. Uh, so the Equal Employment Opportunity Division at DHR assists city departments with providing reasonable accommodations for applicants and employees with disabilities in accordance with the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, and the California Fair Employment and Housing Act, FIHA. Applicants and employees can request reasonable accommodations orally or in writing. Applicants uh, can submit a request for reasonable accommodation form to a designated exam analyst or other human resources representative. The applicant request for reasonable accommodation form is on the Department of Human Resources um, sfdhr.org website under reasonable accommodations. Yes, the applicant request for reasonable accommodation form is located um, at sfdhr.org on the Department of Human Resources website under reasonable accommodations. And if you could, thank you for being so patient with our feedback. If you could speak just a little bit slower, that would help us a great deal. Okay, thank you. 
just a little nervous, so thank you so much. You're doing a great job. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you so you. much. Okay. So we do have a reasonable a request for a reasonable accommodation form. Um, and the form states, exams at the city and county of San Francisco may require you to do one or more of the following. Sit at desks and chairs, et cetera, for long periods of time. Speak in front of panel, in a panel of raters, um, for example, an oral examination. Perform physical activities, for example, physical ability tests. Read exam material and fill in circles on a bubble sheet uh, for a multiple chess, uh, choice examination. Write answers in narrative form using a pen or pencil, for example, for an essay examination. Listen to instructions about test content or administration. Watch a video relating to test content or administration. Read and answer exam questions on a computer. And so the section at the bottom of the form, or mid to bottom, um, is to be completed by the applicant. And it says, if you are disabled, have a physical slash mental impairment that limits a major life activity as defined by the California Fair Employment and Housing Act and or Americans with Disability Act and wish to request a reasonable accommodation for a particular exam due to your disability, please complete the following. Uh, your, the applicant name in print, uh, applicant signature, date, recruitment ID number, the title of the examination, and it says the following are types of test accommodations that may be possible. Please check below the ones you are requesting. Visual, for visual slash learning, a marker, uh, someone to mark answers, reader, a separate room, extra time, for mobility, testing room as close as possible to entrance or restroom, personal attendant to be provided by the candidate, accessible test area for persons who use a wheelchair, special seating, marker, someone to mark answers, for hearing, an interpreter or separate room. There is also a box located at the bottom which um, indicates that an ind the applicant may describe any other accommodations that they would like to request. Uh, at the bottom, it does say after the front and back sections of this form are completed, the back section does not need to be completed if your disability is obvious. You should return the form to the analyst who scheduled your exam, i.e. look for the analyst's name and the email you received about the exam. Uh, the Second page of the, the request for reasonable accommodation form says, note, if your disability is obvious, it is not necessary for you to have this side of this form completed. This section is to be completed by a medical doctor, school psychologist, learning consultant, etc., as appropriate. Exams with the city and county of San Francisco are administered on the basis of fairness, merit, and equal opportunity. They are often highly competitive and candidates are ranked on score reports based on their test score. The applicant who has signed the other side of this form is taking an exam and is requesting a reasonable accommodation during the exam. Whenever possible, reasonable testing accommodations that can be supported are provided to applicants with disabilities. Please review the applicant's medical or educational history as appropriate. 
If you support the applicant's request for the reasonable accommodations, please complete the information below and return the form to the applicant. It asks uh, to print the candidate's name and it asks uh, the medical provider to certify that the above named individual is disabled as defined by the California Employment and Housing Act and or Americans with Disabilities Act. Consequently, you know, I recommend that the following special accommodations be provided to this individual during the exam, and it provides a box for the medical provider to fill in any additional accommodations they believe in. Uh, the bottom portion asks the medical doctor or individual uh, to print as appropriate the name of the medical doctor, school psychologist, or learning consultant. Um, it asks for their signature as appropriate of the name of the medical doctor, school psychologist, or learning consultant. Uh, the street address, uh, city, phone number, the certificate or license number and state, if applicable, of the individual and the date signed. The reasonable accommodation process for employees. Employees can submit a request for reasonable accommodation form to a designated human re resources representative, manager, or supervisor. Uh, the employee request for reasonable accommodation form is on the sfdhr.org website, and it's titled Employee Request for Reasonable Accommodation.pdf. The employee request for reasonable accommodation form uh, asks for information such as name, their DSW number, class or title, address, city, state, zip code, contact number, personal email, department, and it states it is the pol policy of the city and county of San Francisco to provide reasonable accommodation to qualified individuals with disabilities in accordance with the Federal Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, and the California Fair Employment and Housing Act, FIHA. You may be required to provide documentation in support of your request for reasonable accommodation. Please note that this information will be maintained in a separate confidential file from your personnel file and access will be limited only to those with a need to know. Reasonable accommodation request. Purchase of assistive devices, removal of communications barrier, job restructuring, purchase of assistive services, removal of architectural barrier, modified reassignment, or other specify. It also asks to please describe the accommodation and to use extra sheets if needed. Essential duties of your position. Please identify the essential duties. Do not include marginal duties of your position for which you are requesting an accommodation. Healthcare provider, it, it asks for four, at least four, at least four options. And then healthcare provider, please provide us with the name of your healthcare provider who can assist with this request. Name of the provider, address, phone, and specialty. Also, um, it asks for an additional healthcare provider on the second page. Uh, also asks for their name, address, phone, and specialty. 
Major life activities, please check the majority, or sorry, the major life activity slash activities you believe to be limited by your medical conditions. Walking, breathing, seeing, caring for oneself, working, talking, hearing, learning, performing manual tasks, other. Please describe how the above activity or activities is or are limited. Is your medical condition temporary, yes or no? If yes, please state the expected duration. Are you currently working, yes, no? If no, please specify the type of leave currently approved and the duration dates. Have you previously applied for a reasonable accommodation with the city, yes, no? If yes, please explain the status slash circumstances. The bottom states, I hereby certify that I believe I am a qualified individual with a disability as defined by the law. I have re received and reviewed the information brochure and require an accommodation to perform the essential functions of my position. I understand that a detailed review of my disability status may be required and I agree to cooperate fully in this process. I further understand that if my request is granted, I am obligated to report any changes in my disability status which may require a reevaluation of this request. Granting of this request does not signify approval of any future reasonable accommodation request for any other position within the department or any other department within the city and county of San Francisco. It lists employee signature and date. Accommodations may include modified exam schedules, accessible locations, readers or sign language interpreters, assistive technology, ergonomic equipment and furniture, job restructuring, reassignment. Each request is evaluated individually for eligibility, need, and reasonableness. And if anyone has any questions, I am available. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, now we're going to council members' questions. I say public comment questions. I yes. So as a reminder to the public, as a reminder to the public, uh, you may make a public comment if you're joining us in person by lining up at the podium, or you may fill up, fill out a um, public comment card. If you're joining us via WebEx today, uh, you can use the raise hand feature or the Q&A feature uh, to make a public comment. So I will wait and see if there's anybody in person joining us who would like to make a comment doesn't look like it. Uh, so then we will move to WebEx. Anybody participating via WebEx, feel free to raise your hand now so that we can acknowledge your public comment. Right, it doesn't look like any members of the public would like to make a comment at this time. Thank you, now going are going on to council members' questions. I see uh, August Sisoni has question. 
Can we make sure the camera is on ORCID? Okay, thank you. I have many questions because I'm um, a community staff person and without your department, the department of DH the DHR department and the testing and the classifiers and the testing and my experience with DHR has been kind of humiliating. I have asked for um, specific interpreters and they tell me again and again I don't need those interpreters that, or they question me why I need an interpreter and um, they act as if I don't know anything and they try to make that decision for us. And it's happened to me more than three times and it's been very frustrating. And on that forum, I'm wondering who made all those choices? Did you have someone who had experience in the disability world to make those decisions about the forum? Because I really shuddered to look at some of those. I think it needs more work. For example, reasonable accommodations and interpreters, they don't go together exactly. A reader or a sign language interpreter, for example, don't, they don't go together, they're completely different. So um, you have to use um, ASL interpreter, that's one category, and that doesn't have anything to do with readers. So um, on another point, on the form you use the word, the word um, disability, you refer to, can you? You need to reform the, the form a little bit, I feel, um, for it's not done um, quite accurately in my opinion. And um, there's some flaws. For example, we um, who are, um, we're not great fans of the Department of Human Resources here at San Francisco, so I have to be honest, so I will let other people who might wanna speak for themselves, but. That's my comment. Thank you, Orchid. Thank you, Orchid. Um, do you have any? Thank you. Thank you so much for the question, and, and we do really appreciate your feedback. I'm going to actually have um, our Deputy Director, Moli um, Tugmenyo, um, provide a response. Thank you. Hey there. Uh, this is Moli Tugmenyo. Um, Deputy Director at the Department of Human Resources. Um, um, thank you for the count, uh, to the council for having us uh, present this afternoon on um, our new disability data, data collection initiative and presenting some information to you about the um, reasonable accommodations process. So I think uh, what I can say in response is, uh, well, one, sorry, that's been your uh, experience, council member, and we're um, I think we work very closely with um, the Mayor's Office of Disability, and if there's feedback on the form, then we're happy to receive it. I know there are certain uh, regulations that we're working under from the state, um, as well as the federal government, and so I, I know uh, some of what is included on the form is pro forma, but if we um, can improve it within those regulations, then we're more than happy to do that, so we'll gladly take your feedback and if you want to send us um, any recommendations specifically then we're, we're happy to receive it but I don't think we want to go line by line in this form. Thank you. 
Now we're going back going to Denise. Thank you, Co-Chair Madrid. Uh, I want to thank our presenters for being here um, today. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to our feedback. Oh, excuse me. No, sorry. I got to yell over here. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. Again, thank you for being here and listen to our input. Um, for the sake of time, I have concerns around the language um, with regards to the self-identification around reasonable accommodation but I'm just gonna pick, pick one in particular. Um, with regards to your description, if I remember correctly, under obvious, just for educational purposes, uh, not all people with disabilities, um, not all disabilities are obvious. Some people have, depending on the language you use, hidden disabilities, non-apparent disabilities, intellectual disabilities. So not all disabilities can be seen, so. That's, that's the first thing with regards to the language around that description. Now, if I understood you correctly, you talked about that you're basically using this data collection, for lack of a better word, as I paraphrase, to better help the workforce as people self-identify under the reasonable accommodation process. And the first question I have is I understand employees with disabilities or potential candidates must have had questions around this process. What is the data collection being used for, what do you do with the information once you collect it for an employee that's already gainfully employed through the city and county or they're interested? What happens after the process when they go through self-identification? And secondly, I realize this is kind of overlapping into different segments. Are department heads educated on this process? If you run around, if you run into requests that might be maybe specialized in the requests, but least the federal and state law under disability, who is all involved in that process in determining that decision along with the employee because the employee or potential candidate notes, knows what they need to be successful on their job. So take me through the process once I've self-identified who is involved with that? Because the overall goal is to, to serve all employees, city and county, but to give employees or potential applicants with disabilities an even playing field. So take me through that process if you can. Sorry. Thank Before you. we receive a response, I just wanna make sure that as part of the response, we clarify around the, the self-identification process is not linked to the reasonable accommodation process. Okay. So I just want to make sure that everyone understands that. And with that, I'll, um, I'll hand it over back to Maui. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Director Bond. That was going to be my first point. We just want to make sure we're talking about these um, uh, two things separately. The reasonable accommodation process has been a longstanding and in-place process. The data collection um, is a new initiative that we um, launched with the support of MOD. And that is really uh, for us to better understand uh, who our workforce is. Um, we obviously have some data on the individuals who have um, requested reasonable accommodations, but as you noted, um, um, not, not everybody who has a disability um, 
it, it is not visible and they may not have uh, necessarily gone through the reasonable accommodations process. And so we're trying to, just as a first step, um, understand um, who our workforce is um, better. And this is also sort of an educational um, uh, exercise for us and for, for our employees. So that's, um, I would say there's no, um, real planned um, intention for, for the data uh, at this moment. We're just at the, within the first, we're in the first month of this. Um, and so we're really just trying to count. And I think we all know um, that if you're, you're not counted, then it's hard to um, get resources. It's hard to get um, certain things. Um, and so we want to do a better job of, of counting who who is identifying themselves as having a visible or invisible disability. Thank you. Thank you both for the clarification. Yes, no problem. I, I see I'll um, if you don't mind, make a quick, I'm sorry, glad sorry. Thank you. Um, thank you for the presentation. Um, I'm very glad that you're here. Um, I was not sure what uh, this, how this presentation was going to go or the content. Um, and I'm really glad I'm seeing these forms now um, before I'm in a position if I were to apply for a job with the city. Um, so I would be forewarned. Um, <laughs> with that being said, um, has the form for either the data collection or the reasonable accommodation PDF, uh, who has tested it for accessibility? I'll just uh, quickly on the... Uh Data collection, um, we, we worked uh, with both our city attorney's office as well as um, the mayor's office of disability on, on developing um, that survey. Um, so th those would be the two. Um, developing the survey, I'm t but in terms of screen reading? I think you mean uh, digital accessibility, digital, correct? Digital, digital accessibility. I see. I see what you're saying. Um, Thank you, Nicole. Sorry. Turn my baby monitor off. Um, um, the, um, the controller's office, um, I can check with them, but the, I know that they have certain uh, requirements in place um, for digital accessibility, but I, I can't answer that question specifically at this moment, but okay, so if I were to go onto the website and pull up the form, um, being a city run entity, I would hope and, uh, that I could go onto this form and, and have it read to me by my screen reader. That's what I mean by digital accessibility. Um, and if I couldn't, that would be a problem. So I would suggest, I would make a suggestion that um, finding um, someone, either that one of your employees or finding someone maybe 
in the disability community to test that out before you go further. Um, the second thing is, um, uh, I never, I, I the, there were so many things. Um, I, I don't under, I really still don't understand that, um, why, where the distinction is with an obvious disability or not. So, um, where, where that was even asked for, the thing, the forms were going so fast. So, I can come back to that. Um, the next thing is when you're asking me for my doctor's name, address information um, to prove that I have a disability, I'm concerned about what are you going to, it doesn't, what are you going to ask? Like, you don't, you don't say, there's nothing here to sign a release. I don't see what information you are going to ask my doctor. I want to know what exactly you're going to say because I don't feel comfortable having my medical records sent to the city of San Francisco. Um, it's okay if you sent to my ophthalmologist, you know, uh, am I legally blind or not or whatever. Does that make me have a disability? But I'm, I am not going to just put down my doctor's name just to and, and ask for my medical records. Um, that's a concern. Um, so th there's more, but I mean, I just feel like I am, I am not comfortable with these forms the way they are and with the language like Orchid was saying um, also. Um, I'll just say thank you for your feedback. I think that the uh, language around obvious disability is that maybe Asmund can confirm for me, but I believe that is language um, lifted either from the state or federal government. And I'll maybe pass it to Asmund to add anything there. Thank you. Um, no, I can definitely understand how that may seem um, a little concerning. Generally, with the language, uh, my understanding on those, sorry, on those forms is that um, if a disability is obvious, um, we do not require them to uh, fill out certain forms um, because we don't need to um, have certification that they require certain um, conditions, or not conditions, sorry, they require certain accommodations, right? Um, if the disability is, right, if somebody comes in with a wheelchair and asks to be seated in a space that requires more uh, space to accommodate for the wheelchair, we are not going to require them to, um, you know, get certification from their doctor that they require this accommodation. Uh, so in that situation, that is what is meant by that, that if the disability is obvious, they are not required to um, fill out certain um, items on the form, right? But what you're mm -hmm. not understanding is not all disabilities are seen, quote yes. unquote. There are so many hidden Yes. Disabilities. That's what I'm trying to, and Denise was trying to say. And you maybe, I'm would sorry, you Nicole. mind just pointing out which, uh, which form you're speaking about so, exactly? If I may, I think, um, <clears throat> I, and I, I, I am hearing uh, both sides of this. I'm a little bit, I'm wondering if there's a little bit of miscommunication yes. yeah. happening. So it's, it's around, I think the question is around, when we're requiring to provide documentation and not. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the feedback is, the way that it's worded right now, it is unclear 
how the city would determine what an obvious disability is or is that. Okay. Am I, am I understanding correctly? This is Sherry. I just have a problem with the whole issue of being able, the whole issue of determining obvious or not. There should not be a determination. It should be a question. Thanks for clarifying. Do you have a disability or not? If you're trying to, if that's what you're trying to get at, don't make it an assumption or not. It's either ask the person or don't ask the person. But it's not up to the city of San Francisco to look at me and determine whether I have an obvious disability or I don't. That's what I take exception to. Excuse me if I can say one quick thing. Um, and that's what I was trying to say around the description. Obvious does need to be in there. The person that is self-identifying knows what they need. And in the past, when I need to self-identify through my various employers, I only provided specific medical information in relation to the particular disability that I was asking for a reasonable accommodation around. I know that's not part of this process, but for the sake of education and language on this form. To me, obvious doesn't need to be in there. You're either disabled or you're not. This is what you need, et cetera. That is my if, opinion. Thank if, you. If I might. This is Debbie Kaplan, uh, Deputy Director. If I might try to interject and clarify, I think there's still some confusion between the self-identification questionnaire and then the reasonable accommodation um, form. The self-identification uh, doesn't make any distinctions between a visible or obvious disability and one that's not. It's all simply whether somebody identifies themselves as a person with a disability. Um, as I understood it from the presentation, and I think it might have been just difficult to perceive it all because we were reading a lot of text. Yeah. Um, that pertained to the form that people can fill out if they are requesting an accommodation to the tests. If they're an applicant for a job and they're requesting a reasonable accommodation to be able to take the test. The civil service exam. The civil service exam, thank you. And then, if the disability is obvious, they don't have to submit any medical certification. But if it's not visible or obvious, then the medical certification is required. Is that accurate? Yes. And I hope that helps yes. clarify. Essentially, we do not want to create an extra barrier if it is obvious that they would have to go back to a medical provider for that, you know, to get the accommodation if it is obvious. Of course, we understand that there are many many different types of conditions that are not obvious. Um, and for you know certain accommodations, right, we would want to get that certification from the healthcare provider because it is not obvious. Um, and so for that reason, yes, I completely agree with what you are saying. Um, that, that is why we, we do not want them. If, a, if it is obvious to us, we do not want to have them um, take an extra step in the process and have to have that certification we can already ascertain um, that for a fact. Thank you. Um, I would 
Um, I'm gonna ask um, Patricia if there is a question from you. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a little hard for me to comment on this because uh, my disability um, developed after I retired from City College, although my last year um, I got accommodations from the college which uh, were a reduced teaching load and the ability to stay in one classroom instead of walking from classroom to classroom which is what teachers normally do. Um, I can see, uh, I think this data collection is very important. Uh, it looks like there, a lot of time and effort has been put into this. Mm -hmm. And I think Orchid and Sherry's comments are very valid. Uh, I would like to see uh, if you're a, an applicant or an employee who has a, dis a, dis a disability um, that, uh, they can ask for uh, accommodations that may not be available. For example, uh, restroom facilities that are adequate uh, for a person with mobility problems and which uh, restrooms are not adequate in spite of the ADA laws. So uh, that's, you know, I, I really, since I didn't work as a disabled person, it's a little hard for me to chime in too much here on that issue. Thank you, Patricia. Um, before I go turning to, to, to the staff, I just want to ask a couple of questions, and I try my best to um, distinguish between accommodations and the collective, um, collective, data collected. So let me start with um, information collection. Um, I know that with um, people who are applicants for the city and country, they do answer those questions like, are you veteran, are you person with disability, or are you X, Y, and Z? Now, my question with this is that, is this qualified as, um, as the da data collection or separate from this. Um, and Moali, feel free to chime in, but thank you for the question. That's an excellent question. So right now, this is only available to our existing employees. Um, our next, we do intend to exp expand this to our applicants, but it requires a bit more of technological stuff that is beyond my scope and understanding um, that's needed, but that is a part of our plan to integrate this into our um, smart recruiters um, application system. And um, I don't know if Moli would like to add anything there or? 
Um, I think that's uh, accurate. I think that we also, um, while we have the ability to turn this on, I think we want it to be very um, uh, judicious how we're rolling uh, um, this system out. We didn't want um, applicants um, for, who are you know, applying for a job with the city for the first time to um, have the impression that um, identifying themselves as somebody who has a disability would count against them. So that's another reason we um, sort of held off on that um, uh, phase of, of the data collection. Okay, thank you. The second question I have when it comes to accommodations for people who are currently employed by the city, I know is very touchy subject and I want to be cautious and please forgive me for my ignorance but um just want to ask for my education purposes about when someone asks accommodations um do they ask the supervisor or can they go to HR directly just one just want to clarify on that. And second, once the uh, employee asks for accommodation, what's the process and how long it would take for them to get an answer? And then the last question regarding on that is that I know that with 35,000 employees, it's hard to keep track on who asked what. I'm just curious on how the, the department can say or not to kind of follow up on standing accommodation as and make sure that the, that um, employee is um, accommodated. Are you getting at whether or not an accommodation is working, or are you getting at whether or not the city followed up on their obligation to accommodate the employee? Um, both. Um, both. Okay, thank you. So sorry, I'm breaking no, your eye. You're good. You're good. <laughs> thank you. You're um, good. Um, I'm so sorry. So uh, there were three questions, yeah. and um, I I think one of them. Sorry, I forgot the other two. Or um, or I forgot the other two. Apologies. I know one of them was that um, you asked. Um, oh yeah, yeah, no, they can they can request an accommodation from their supervisor any supervisor, a manager, any manager. It does not have to be anyone that they report to directly. All managers and supervisors are trained to report any request for an accommodation um, to human resources, and they can also request from human resources. 
Um, and again, this does not have to be um, verbally, it can be in writing. So they have various avenues that they can request. Once they request an accommodation, um, the, the reasonable accommodation coordinator will reach out and engage them in the interactive process. Um, and I can't say exactly how long it might take. It really depends on, it, it's a case-by-case -case basis depending on what it is that they are requesting. Mm -hmm. um, if they're asking for assistive devices, if we have it in stock, uh, it might be a lot sooner. If it's something that uh, we don't have in stock or is very specialized that we have to go outside of our city contractors for, that might take a little time, especially if it has to be shipped. Um, if it is something that requires, you know, just working with a manager, figuring out what the essential functions are, where things are located, do we have to move something, right, maybe from a higher level to a lower level, do we have to provide assistive devices or, yeah, assistive devices, but um, technology as well, we might have to ensure, right, that it is compatible mm. um, and, and work you know, that way. Um, so it is very case by case. Um, in some situations, sometimes we receive medical certifications that are vague in nature. Um, and so for that reason, we do ask individuals, if they are comfortable, to provide us with the information from their healthcare provider. We do have a medical authorization and release form, and I apologize, we did not include that in our uh, presentation, but we do have a medical authorization and release form, and I believe it is um, for 180 days, and it expires after that. Um, and the information that we request from the healthcare provider is never anything related to any scans mm -hmm. or a diagnosis. That is never information that we ask for. And I actually, I really appreciate your feedback because that could be something we are clear about. Um, but I know any time that I engaged with the employees when I was a reasonable accommodation coordinator or the coordinators that I have trained, um, I have to ask them to make sure that you tell that to the employee or the applicant um, because we understand that there is that concern. But I welcome that feedback uh, because we could be clear on the forms. But uh, that being said, we will only ever um, ask the healthcare provider for information about the functions of their position. So we usually create an essential functions guide, um, which again, we did not include. Uh, next time, we will, you know, if there is a next time, we can be more thorough. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that. of course. We provide yeah. them with an essential functions guide, and it yeah. asks them, you know, can they perform these functions with, uh, without, with or without an, an accommodation, right? With an accommodation, or I'm sorry, uh, without an accommodation, uh, yes, thank you, yes, and we ask them to provide us with information in terms of, um, you know, what, what accommodations they may need, um, we might ask, uh, we might create a separate questionnaire for them to, uh, to get that additional mm -hmm. information when, when it is vague, so for that reason it might take a little bit longer sometimes as well to accommodate the individuals. Um, I hope I answered the questions, but I'm not sure if I missed one of them. So the last one is that um, I know that this is possibly touchy subject, but I'm just going to ask you anyway. I know that with 35,000 employees, 
that argument that it can be to the roof. And I just curious on with road department, like, do you guys follow up on quote-unquote standing accommodation or some, like, something that must be on the diary and needs follow-up? How do you guys go about that? Um, and I'm sorry if my so if, I think you're it, once somebody has been approved or, or received a reasonable accommodation so if they transfer departments for instance does that come accommodation go with them no and is it regularly um, I, assessed is that sort of no oh, I, I can clarify my question I guess my question is if someone with with city and county um, departments, we have thirty-five thousand employees, correct? And some of them are already asked their accommodations. Now, my question is: Are there any quote-unquote pending accommodations or any? existing accommodation that you guys or the department follow up through and say, okay, um, this is what you have. I know that it takes, it's been two months and we just following up on these accommodations. I hope this clarifies. I think it would be helpful. Thank you, uh, Alex. I think it would be helpful to if if the HR could comment on <clears throat> what happens in the interim time between the accommodation request and the accommodation being approved or provided for that employee, and then what happens to follow up to ensure that the accommodations that were approved for the employee are actually working in that circumstance for the employee so they can be effective in their essential functions. Thank you, Nicole. You're welcome. Thank you both. Um, no, I appreciate that question. Um, we depends on the restriction. I'm sorry. Uh, it, it is very case by case. Um, so in some, in cases where um, the individual is not able to, well, there are, there are different options for individuals while they are waiting to receive their accommodation request. Uh, so some individ individuals may be placed on a leave of absence um, if there are no modified duty assignments available that would accommodate the work restrictions. Um, and again, other individuals may be placed on a modified duty assignment, right? Um, Similarly, they may be placed in a light duty assignment in their own position. Um, so if there's something, let's say we have a clerk that is not able to lift and part of the functions of their position is to lift, you know, certain like boxes of paper um, and they can't lift more than uh, five pounds. 
we can either break down the box so they, to a more manageable weight, or if that's not something that's possible, if the items can't be broken, we may go ahead and just uh, take that function away from them so they don't further injure themselves um, while we wait for the accommodation or, sorry, the, you know, the type of accommodation to, you know, if it's an assistive device, um, well, until we receive that. Um, again, other individuals may be placed in a modified duty assignment away from their regular job um, that could at least assist them to continue working um, at least while they recover or while, you know, if it's an assistive device when that comes in. Um, again, individuals may be placed on a leave. So it is very case by case depending on what the work restrictions are, depending on what their essential functions uh, are, and then also depending on what assignments might be available. Um, so I hope that was helpful. That, that's pretty much what I just want to clarify that pre, um, the city and county ensure that the employee stay in the job, not, um, not letting them come basis on recommendation, correct? Yes, we, we make every effort to um, try and uh, accommodate individuals in their position. Generally, if we ever have to do a job search, if the individuals are not able to be accommodated in their position, um, they do have the option of uh, providing us with a resume and providing us with, um, and by us I mean DHR, um, you know, if it's on the department level, uh, we do a concurrent citywide job search process, and we look for positions that they may qualify for that are uh, within their work restrictions. I believe it can't be more than 5% of the top step in their class uh, and that they qualify for. Um, so they do have that extra option as well where we look for positions that uh, may accommodate their work restrictions. Um, that is usually, though, our very last step in the process um, because we try and make every effort to accommodate them in their current position. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> Great. Thank you. No, and thank you. Um, I'm going to turn into the staff if they have any questions or comments. So, oh, go, go ahead, please. Go ahead, okay. Hi, this is Orchid. Can you put the camera on Orchid, please? I'm waiting for the camera. Perfect, thank you. This is very short. I understand DHR um, is trying to accommodate people, but for people talking about people who apply and people who are already working. So people who are already employed are classified workers and they take tests. Um, and um, I know you guys are concerned about cheating, which I understand, um, but it's sometimes dehumanizing when people are accused of that. DHR has, be very careful how they use that word when someone applies for an accommodation um, a reasonable accommodation and they fill out a form and it's, consider it something to help or, um, you know, you don't want to um, make a ready uh, decision like right before, when it happened before COVID, 
For example, right now I don't know if things have changed, but um, a person who applied, I'd heard stories where they had to wait a really, really long time, like a year or two years and not hear back, and no one was in touch with them. And I'm talking specifically about some deaf people who applied for jobs here and were very frustrated and didn't understand how the system worked and it was difficult to navigate within the system. So I just wanted to give some advice about that group of people who were frustrated. And also um, uh, DSW is another under DHR. I know all of the city um, DSW um, doesn't have options that for accommodations. Um, so people who work in the D, in DSW don't have access to that. So I'm wondering if DHR has thought about a backup plan for that. Just for clarification, um, DSW is Disaster Service Worker. Yes, Mauli uh, Tuvenio again. Um, That's uh, right, yes. May, may I just ask for clarification on the DSW issue, what, what you mean? Because D, DSWs are um, we, we COVID is the perfect example. I think really the only time um, we use the DSW program, um, at least in very recent history. So uh, can you just clarify the issue there? I'm sorry. So with DSW, um, it was kind of messed up. We were required to go to different places and I know there was a checkoff, but there was no accommodations. For example, meetings were very last minute and people were required to show up or, um, and there was no access, there, they weren't accessible meetings. So some of the places people were in the dark or for example, they had a meeting um, uh, without an interpreter because there wasn't enough time. It was very last minute, so it was impossible to get an interpreter because of an emergency. So I'm wondering, um, it's just, I know they're required, DSW has requirements, but also to, um, they need to make those meetings accessible. And we could discuss that more at another time. This is Nicole speaking. One thing I will add, Moe, to Orchid's comment at being someone who was deployed in the beginning and most of the way through COVID is we, we learned that we didn't have an effective reasonable accommodation request process right away with the DSW process. And so that is something that uh, came gradually. And I think in, in terms of our act, after action reporting was one of the recommendations that, you know, should we have a, a citywide DSW deployment again, we wanna make sure that that process is in place. But then the other thing that we learned was that just-in-time communication access was very difficult. And frankly, it's something the city still cha uh, is challenged with and uh, needs to continue to work on. Yes, I, um, I guess I'll just uh, respond by saying I, I know that the city put together a very lengthy after-action report. I mean, there are many, many things that we did right um, to um, save so many lives, but also we were moving very quickly and there are many things we could have done better. And I, I do remember seeing something to the effect of what you're referring to. I can certainly go back to that after action report and see if that's included. And I think that is 
you know, generally a living document that, that we can update um, with this feedback. Thank you. So, and now I'm going to turn on to the staff. So this is Nicole speaking again. First of all, thank you to my DHR colleagues. This has been, Yvette, you've, you've, you've weathered a lot of questions very well. Um, and thank you, it's been a long time since the council has heard from Department of Human Resources outside of the, uh, the ACE program. So first of all, thank you for your time and willingness to take all of this feedback. Um, I will, just a couple of things that came up in response to the discussion. First of all, the Mayor's Disability Council has an employment and employment subcommittee, and I would highly encourage the council to meet and debrief about some of the things that you learned and some of the feedback that you gave here today and determine how you'd like to uh, follow up on some of these items that you've uh, very wisely elevated as uh, concerns as well as some of the things that you appreciate. So I would very much appreciate seeing what you would like as the council, the city to be uh, focused on. And then with that feedback, I will also say that MOD would be very happy to um, provide feedback after we you know, receive the council's recommendations on the, on the forms themselves in terms of the content at least in my tenure here, um, that opportunity hasn't been availed to us yet. So we'd be very happy to collaborate on that. And I'll also say that um, digital services is available. Uh, I also want to support Councilmember Elber's suggestion around uh, user testing and say that digital services is also available to make sure that all of our front-facing forms are accessible uh, digitally. Um, and um, and then I'll, finally I'll say that um, I, I very much take to heart um, looking at how the city might be able to explore how employee accommodations are, the effectiveness of the employee accommodations that are, uh, that are in place. I know that would be a, a significant undertaking, but I'm glad that it was elevated today is this part of this conversation and as always we'd be very happy to continue uh, to work with you and again I want to uh, encourage the subcommittee to um, to you you have a lot to work with uh, now um, through this discussion and really hope that you do um, choose to follow up as well anything else from you uh, Debbie? I do have a question thank you and thanks very much for your willingness to stick with us as we barrage you with lots of questions. As you all know, it's a pretty complicated topic and lots of aspects to it. Um, one question I have has to do with um, the, the um, effectiveness of the digital tools that all employees need to use. Um, and accessibility. Um, if an employee comes to you and has a reasonable accommodation request with respect to systems and um, the internal tools that they need to use 
to do their job. Um, what is your process when you've already figured out that the employee has all of the assistive technology that they might need, but the system that they're interacting with is not compatible with the assistive technology because it's not really accessible. And, and how are you handling those kinds of issues? Um, and this is especially, I think, relevant to us now, as you probably know, because we're working with COIT, the Committee on um, Information, Information Technology. Technology and Digital Services around the Digital Accessibility and Inclusion Standard and how that should apply to employees as well. I will turn it over to Yasmin if there's anything to add to that or comments. <clears throat> sure. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, I, again, I'm so sorry, but uh, it is case by case, obviously. Um, but generally, yeah, if a system is not compatible with some of the software that the individual is uh, or has to use, um, we do try and see if there are ways to maybe work around it, um, if possible, uh, depending on what the issue is. I think uh, at least one of my cases uh, a while back, uh, the individual had a, a rough time filling in certain um, certain text boxes uh, because Dragon was not, I think it was Dragon Speak, was not uh, compatible with, with that specific line. Um, so as an accommodation, um, we, or as a workaround really, we asked the individual to then uh, speak that whatever needed to be filled in into a Word document and then copy and paste it into the um, into that system. Um, but it, again, it really depends. I know that that's something that we are very interested in, um, kind of find or trying to figure out because there are some systems that are not necessarily compatible, right, with all of the voice activation software or certain softwares that are used. Um, but uh, we do try and see if there is a way to try and accommodate the individual. Um, in some situations, if, if it is a software that might be, you know, like, although I think there is a, a compatible, I, I'm just thinking out loud here now. I, 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 I think towards Deputy Director Kaplan's point. Thank you. MOD's preference would be to work directly with the software provider, oh, yes. whenever possible, to correct the uh, to correct the uh, barrier. Yes. To, so that we're not in a position of needing to come up with creative workarounds, but rather using software. And and we'll be working. You know, we we are work. We are having these discussions as part of our our digital equity, uh, our digital equity and. Um, digital accessibility and inclusion standard, but really we want to do as much as we can to make sure that departments are approaching um, the actual provider of the, yes. of the software that has the barrier and correcting it there. Yes. Uh, and I'm and, right. So, so I think 
rather than kind of pro prolong that, I mean, I think, I think we just want to say that's our preference and, yes. and, you know, let's continue to work together towards that. And, and I appreciate that. No, yeah. I missed a crucial step there. Uh, that was only the very last step when we couldn't find okay. help from the software or the, uh -huh. yes. And so, yeah, our first step is to go with, work with them directly and see if there's a way that we can work with them to, sorry, it's been a little bit since I have done accommodations, yeah. but um, uh, yeah, no our, the first step is to try and work with the, uh, the individuals that have provided the software and see if there's any way to try and um, maybe not work around, but to um, make sure that it is accessible, that they can perform the functions. Um, in my situation, it was, it was very difficult um, and we weren't able to, and again, that was a long time ago, so I don't know if uh, by now they have worked something out. Um, but yeah, our first step is to work with them and see how we can make sure that they can be accommodated in their position and with the software and, that they're provided. We're, we're working, we're beginning discussions with procurement so that we have better language in our contracts, so that it's easier to go back to the vendors and say, our contract says that it needs to be yeah. accessible. Yeah. I, I love hearing that actually, yeah, because sometimes it is difficult to go back and forth with them and yeah. uh, sometimes they might ask for, yeah, I, I thank you for, for. Thank you so much. Is there one, I'm sorry, Alex, one more thing. I'm just curious if you have any early results on the data collection the voluntary data collection and how it's going. Um, Ending on a positive note, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do not have any preliminary data to share at okay. this time, but um, we do we we do get some results from our clicks from the newsletter that we send out, and we do believe there's quite a few clicks that happened with the communication. So we do hope to have something soon. Great. Well, if the council invites you back, we'd love to hear more. Thank you again so much. Thank Absolutely. you so Thank much. You. And I just want to say Monday, Monday and your team, and I hope this is the first um, and not the last that we're going to see each other. And I hope this is a start on working together as a team on how we can serve the community as a whole and provide resources to people that who need it. So thank Absolutely. you. If I may just sort of respond to that and also hopefully ending on a positive note, uh, 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 Co-Chair. Um, Yes, I, I certainly hope uh, we uh, see each other um, in the <laughs> this, uh, future very soon. Um, I think we are certainly um, trying to celebrate Disability Employment, uh, Disability Awareness Month. I, hopefully you saw the note that we sent out at the beginning of the month um, yes. talking about the importance of recognizing employees with disability and um, we again sort of see this data collection effort as um, the first step in understanding who our workforce is and then also i'd just like to end by by um, letting you know that month this coming monday and hopefully you've also received an invite for this um, <clears throat> but we're happy to share the flyer with you but we are um, hosting a, a panel and a career fair um, 
um, called, we're calling Empowerability SF. Um, and that's going to be at the, the main library in the Corette Auditorium from 1 to 5 p.m. The first half is um, going to be a panel discussion, which will feature um, some employees who have uh, disabilities, and they'll um, discuss their experience as, as employees. And then the second half will be a career fair um, focused on um, um, getting people um, into the door who um, have a disability and talking about what that process looks like for them. So um, if you don't have it already, we can certainly send you the flyer. Um, but I think we have just about sold out um, um, the event, but there's always room for you if you would like to attend. Just thank you so much. I just want to be just fine. I've been wanted and applied for the student country for a long time and new news to bad news. So I just again just wanna say thank you very much for coming and I hope I see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um now I'm going back to item number eight. Um, letter to MTA board in support of the Norwegian on web proposal. Sharon, use the mic. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, um, Co-Chair Madrid. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Um, this is a topic that um, we have had a lot of correspondence at um, the MDC. Um, so I don't know how many people know about this, but um, uh, there uh, was a pilot program in 2021 by the SFMTA, and it was a no turn on red campaign in the Tenderloin. And it was um, a total of 50 intersections uh, were involved. And um, here are the results. 92% um, of drivers um, complied with the no turn on red. Close calls decreased um, by 80%. And drivers blocking crosswalks decreased by 72%. So um, overall, it looks like um, that people are um, complying with this uh, no right turn on red um, uh, ordinance. Now, since then, um, recently actually, um, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors unanimously passed um, a resolution um, in favor of this uh, no right turn on red um, and uh, policy and has uh, sent that to and um, urging the MTA, SFMTA, um, to approve this um, right turn, no right turn on red policy. Um, now this was supposed to be addressed at last Tuesday's um, MTA board meeting, um, but unfortunately did not make the um, agenda. Now, um, 
We here at the MDC Council, um, I as co-chair, um, believe that this implementing this policy will um, make it much safer, safer for pedestrians um, on the streets, um, especially those um, with disabilities who um, I know for me, I get so surprised and caught off guard when someone's turning right a right turn in front of me. Um, and of course, you know, it's no warning and, and half the time they don't make a full stop, which I believe that's the law. You have to make a full stop before you make the right on uh, red if it's, if it's allowed at that intersection. Um, and I also can tell you that this does apply to e-scooters and bicycles. So yay for that. Um, so therefore, um, I am making a recommendation to the council um, and I would like to propose that the MDC send a letter of support to the MTA board um, in favor of this policy and I want to open it up to discussion with the public and the council members here um, before we vote on it today. So. Yes, thank you. Uh, um, share with uh, the top consent. I would ask the public to do a, a minute for public comment. Please open the up the public comment at this so, time. So the public comment wasn't noticed in the agenda for this item? Oh, yeah. That's correct. So, um, so I believe the, the question in hand is whether or not um, the council would like to support this initiative so, or if further discussion needs to happen, correct? Okay, so let, um, thank you, um, Director Bond. So in, that, in the event that we did not uh, put public comment on the agenda, I, I would like to just say one more thing, um, Co-Director uh, Madrid. Um, I do know that we've had um, numerous, numerous um, letters of support to the MDC, MOD. I do know that um, the consumer uh, blindness organization that I belong to is in favor, um, if I, I don't know if I can say it, um, uh, the National Federation of the Blind of San Francisco is in favor of this um, po um, proposal. Um, in fact, they will probably be sending a letter of support um, also in as well. Um, I, um, I do believe that uh, this is a very um, worthwhile and um, positive step in the right direction to um, pedestrian safety. So just to clarify, just what I was just asking Deputy Director Kaplan, we were we received public correspondence on this as well, is that correct? So she, uh, she said we received 160 letters oh. of public support, correct? Perfect, okay. Okay, all right, so, so thank so, you. And so I just wanna um, ask the council to have a motion to have this motion of support. Can you get a motion? Okay, yes, yeah, so the motion would be, um, uh, the motion is, shall the MDC send a letter of support to the SFMTA in favor of a no turn on red policy 
in the city of San Francisco. Again, can I get a motion on this? Well, actually, you want, you're looking for a, a motion of what, Alex? To support? I can I get a motion to support on the letter? So usually what we do is you would vote person by person. Okay, um, can you please um, get a roll call on supporting um, a letter to MDC, MTA board in support of Nora 10 on red? Yes, uh, Alex Madrid. No, sorry, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Yes. All right, Sherry Albers. Yes. Denise Senhal. Yes. Uh, Patricia Arak. Uh, could I make a comment? My vote is yes, but could I make a comment about the letter? Sure. At this point? Uh, I, I would like to see uh, added uh, any any two or three wheeled vehicle in addition to uh, cars and trucks, uh, bicycles, motorcycles, three-wheeled vehicles, scooters, any kind of wheeled vehicle, manual or battery or fuel-powered, uh, to make it extremely clear that uh, People with disabilities are in great danger from not just cars, but anybody on a bicycle or any kind of wheeled vehicle. You can be hit and killed by a bicycle just like you can get hit and killed by a car. Yes. But yes, I, I vote in favor, definitely in favor. Yes, we can add that to that later. And I just want to note that Co-Chair Sassouni uh, did have an engagement at four, and so um, we should uh, check with her as well, but it sounds like there's uh, substantial support for a pass. So, um, yes, it sounds like it's passed, pending on cousin member Sassouni. Um, no, I'm, I'm thank One, you. sorry, Arkad, you just need a majority vote, so it's passed. We have four, four yeses. Okay, I want to thank the council, and um, I will get working on the letter. Thank you. Now we are moving to item number 10. I'm holding the birthday director, David Coughlin, for corresponding. As mentioned earlier, the council received 160 letters in favor of no uh, right turn on red, and that is um, all of the correspondence received in the past month. Thank you. Um, now we are moving along to item number 10, um, general public comment. Please click open the public comment at this time. Yes, uh, so at this time, we invite members of the public uh, to make comments on items of interest to the that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council, which are not on today's meeting agenda. 
Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes, unless the co-chair determines that in the interest of time, comments may be limited to a shorter time when there are a large number of public comments. Um, and just as a reminder to the public, if you'd like to make a comment, if you're joining us in person, you may do so by lighting up at the podium located at the front of the room or by filling out a comment card located at uh, the table at the front of the room. If you're joining us via WebEx, you may make a com public comment by using the raise hand feature or the Q&A box that is available. Um, I will see if there's anybody in person who would like to make a public comment. I don't believe there's anybody. Um, and I do see that there's at least one member of the public who would like to make public comments. Um, so uh, the call-in user, 415-350, uh, you have been permitted to unmute and you may make your public comment whenever you're ready. Yes, uh, I tried uh, WebEx at the beginning of the meeting. I raised my hand. Why wasn't I called on? And I wanted to make public comment about the employment. So you read said I can't make any public comment about the employment issue, and you didn't even have any employment uh, uh, comment. I think you're violating the Sunshine Ordinance because there should be public comment after each item on the agenda. I so how am I supposed to talk about I apologize, the employment sir. issue? You may, I apologize. I, we did have a public comment period, and I didn't see any members of the public joining. I had my and hand raised. I, Go ahead and you, can, you can make your comment now. Go ahead. Well, well I, the employment, I just wanted to say I worked for the city for 26 years, and I had a hidden disability, or I have, and they never asked for any uh, accommodation. And the worst part was the was the uh, uh, when I went to the department, the port, I asked for accommodation. I had a Sioux City College, you know. But the other thing I wanted to talk about in the public comment was that MTA is taking away blue zones without replacing them. There's at least one on McAllister and uh, and Van Ness. And there's four on Fulton Street by the main library for the uh, uh, farmer's market. And they already took all these away without replacing them. And this is just outrageous. I hope maybe next meeting you'll have somebody from MTA come, or maybe Jeff Tumlin come, and explain why they're taking away blue zones and not replacing them. They have one committee, the engineering committee, that takes them away, and then they have another committee meeting the blue zone, the color code committee, which uh, is going to meet on December 6th, and you know put them in. So this is really uh, fair, unfair discrimination uh, against people who need to use the blue zone, and you need to call MTA and have them accountable for this uh, uh, crazy action there. So that's what I wanted to say. Uh, I'm going to call the Sunshine Ordinance and see if you people are in violation of the Sunshine Ordinance about public comment. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Are there any public comment at this time? I don't see anybody else who would like to make public comment at this time. All right. I, I'm going to close the public comment. Um, there were 
willkommen zu Atemnam 11 Information Atem Kasse Members Comments or Announcements. I'm gonna go through the line for that. Um, say any comment or announcements? No, thank you. Denise? No, thank you. For me, I just wanna again um, welcome Patricia um, um, for joining us um, today and welcome. And I'm looking forward to working with you after getting um, people with disabilities. So welcome, Patricia. Um, and without, without any objection, I'm going to call it. Second. Um, Patricia, do you have any comments or announcements? Um, that last caller talking about the blue zones, no, 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 no. I think that's something that we should uh, look into. Thank you for that. Again, without any objection from the council, I'm going to call it a day and adjournment. <laughs>